But this series, uh, I want to talk about organizing our minds. How many of you want to have an organized mind? Now, here's the deal. Anywhere that your life is in chaos is a result of an unorganized mind. It's not the world. It's not the devil. It's not somebody. It's you over time. You could have some chaos happen because something happens to you. So think about, think about your, your day. If your day's a mess and it's unorganized, it's because your calendar's unorganized. It's because your thoughts or your mind is unorganized, okay? So it's your rela- relational. If your relationships are always drama-driven, that's an unorganized relational life. That means your mind in regards to relationships is unorganized. I mean, unorganized means inefficient, not very efficient, not put together, not put together in such a way that it produces something. Aren't you glad your body's organized? It'd be like, what if your eye was on the end of your big toe? You know, you'd have to like drive with one foot in the windshield the whole time. Wouldn't you not? Where our bodies, <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever myself, but our, our bodies are organized in such a way to be efficient that things can happen and, and, and we still live. And we're actually the, uh, the most fragile of all the mammals, really, except that we are organized so well. And part of that organization includes a brain, which all the mammals have. But we have the prefrontal cortex or this, 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 this human brain here that nobody, no, no other mammal actually has. So we have the ability to think about what we're thinking about and to think about the results that we like and we don't like. And then to go back and change what we're doing to get new results. No other animals have that. They do things by thinking them through, but they're super limited. We can think through, wow... You know, this, this branch is good enough for stirring this or doing this job, but what if I took this branch from this kind of wood over here that was a lot harder? Or what if I took this here that I saw melted and made, made, made this met, took this metal out of the stone and made something metal? So it all changes. So we've developed over the years because of a, a prefrontal cortex. So this organization is really important. And there's a rule in the kingdom, and there's a rule in our lives that whatever you focus on, you begin to look like that and you build your life around that. So an unorganized Christian mind focuses on sin. And then you wrap your life and your language of reading scripture on sin. And I don't want to sin. I'm going to try not to sin. And that becomes what's valuable to you is not sinning. You not sinning is not valuable to God at all. Okay? So this is what happens is when we organize our mind on the cross, that I'm more than a conqueror, that I'm loved, I'm, I'm loved while I was yet useless or a sinner to God, I begin to focus my mind and organize my mind on the abundant life, the fullness of his salvation, and the fullness of living that out here on earth in spirit. Spite of my sin, then my life looks differently, and I read Scripture differently. Does that make sense? So, however you organize your mind, you begin to see that happen to you. Have you ever had two people 
maybe they're identical people, identical background. They look very similar. It's, say, the same color, the same job. They live in the same town. And yet one person shows up, and their mind is focused on the negative. They walk into a, a church, into a restaurant, into an office building, and their mind is organized. They're thinking about negative things. They're expecting negative things. So they're looking for negative things, and then they're talking about negative things, and they're doing what? They're experiencing the truth of their thought system, which is negative things, Right? So the other person comes into the same church, the same building, the same relationship, and they're focused on positive things. Their mind is organized around God is good, life is good, I have life and life more abundantly, and they go in thinking their mind organized. They're looking for positive things to happen throughout their day. So what are they doing? They're experiencing more positive things. Well, which one is correct and which one's incorrect? Which one's wrong and which one's right? Well, both of them are proving their truth every single day of their life. Does that make sense? You can, you can have a tragedy. Somebody can be abused. And they identify with that abuse and they carry it for 70 or 80 years till they die. And all they experience from men or women is abuse. Okay? You have the, another person, same situation, maybe 100 times worse. And they make a decision. That experience does not identify me. That was about them. That was not about everybody of that gender, everybody of that race, everybody of that color, everybody of that political persuasion, everybody of that. And they live their life focused not on their abuse, but on their victory, on their redemption. And they have completely different lives. And we, we see that in Scripture in a, in a little bit of what you sow is what you reap. But what you're thinking, you're reaping constantly what you're thinking. You are being rewarded in life by your thoughts. If you walk into a room and you're thinking your mind's unorganized, not allowing Scripture to have redeemed your thoughts, you're thinking, I hope I fit in. I don't think anybody likes me. I haven't had a good experience. I'm so shy. I'm not good at talking. I don't have anything to say. You then walk into a room and you experience that. Even if people give you love and affection, you take the one thing that was negative and you're like, that's it. That proves that I'm not likable. That proves I'm not good in a crowd. That proves I can't do this. You walk into a room saying, I've got the best dad in the world. He gives me equal favor to his, 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 his firstborn Jesus. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm gift. I, I have things and stories and things about me that are super awesome, and I know how to speak well. And you walk into a room that way, and then you would begin to experience that. Even if you don't quite fully grasp what it, what it means, what we decide is an organizing our mind is deciding Scripture is more true than what I'm thinking. Scripture is more true than what I've experienced in my life. Judy and I were talking about this this morning. <clears throat> One thing I learned praying for my mother-in-law those last few months is that God is still a healer even when I don't see him healing. How do I know that? Not because of what I've experienced, but because of what his word says. And an organized mind organizes it according to the word of God. So that's what we're going to look at. In the next few weeks, it's going to be mostly uh, what's going to be um, on Facebook also. And so 2 Corinthians 10.5, I'm, I'm going to share it out of the NIV. Then I'm going to the, to the Passion Translation. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
So it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All right. Most of us know that scripture. And then in the Passion Translation, the exact same scripture is kind of like illuminated or made a bit, little bit bigger. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Where do you get the knowledge of God from? It's, your, it's with the, the thoughts that you have. You organize according to something new, according to the cross, according to his heart towards you. And you take every thought captive unto that. We capture, like, I like this imagery, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one, to Jesus. So what we often get wrong is, I'll ask this question. In this scripture, who, who or what is opposing God? Is it the devil is opposing God? Is it your sin that is opposing God? Some, some of you are like this. It's your thoughts that are opposing God. It's your thoughts. It's Aubrey Maxey's thoughts. It's Cretius' thoughts. It's my thoughts. They, they are what opposes God. I want us to see that. Does the devil oppose God? Yes, he does all of that. But in this scripture, and most of us are at the point where it's our thoughts. It's our imagination. It's the wrong use of our thinking that opposes God. And we think that because we think it and we've experienced it, that we actually have the higher truth. And then we hear truth from Scripture, but we, have, we turn it around because we've got that rut that we've created with all of our thinking and all of our bad experiences. And we turn it around and we make it something that uh, we can't use or we make it as not very truthful. So we oppose God. So then... Who demolishes it? In this scripture, who demolishes the strongholds in our minds? Does the pastor through good teaching? Does the prophetic guy through, through, through a word? Does laying on a hands and anointing somebody with oil? Does, does that demolish the stronghold? In this scripture, what demolishes the stronghold? We do. We demolish the stronghold. I want you to see that. <clears throat> the stronghold is not built by the enemy. We build the stronghold. We build it. We build it up in our imagination, in our minds, someplace that nobody can see what you're thinking. But what we can do is we can see how you're living and we can see if you're growing or not. And I don't just mean growing like I know the word more. I quit doing cocaine or I quit hitting puppies or something like that, kicking puppies. I mean, it's not ungodly to kick puppies. It's okay to kick, kick cats, though, right? No. So, so this, is, this is the proof. This is how we continue to grow and mature is we break down the strongholds. You want to get better at your job. You want to be better as a human. You want to show up better and more confident, and you want to expand your influence in life. You've got to knock down the strongholds and demolish them in your life. We can't pray that God takes them away. Why? Because he told us to do it. He gives us full dominion over our brain. He gives us full dominion over our thoughts. He gives us full dominion over our emotions. He gives us full dominion over our physical bodies. 
God doesn't make us do anything. We saw that with the prophetic. We see that with tongues. We see that we, he doesn't, he doesn't take our hand and go pray for that person and slap it on their head. And we start uttering something that he says. We choose to walk across the room, lift up our hand, exercise our faith, take a risk, and then choose words to pray over that person. God does not take us over and demand things of us. So we demolish them. So how do we demolish them? How do we demolish the thoughts that oppose God? We organize our minds. And I'm using the word organize our minds instead of take every thought captive because we have take every thought captive. But we organize our mind. We begin to line it up appropriately according to Scripture. So... Anybody ever have a job where they go to the job every day and there's no peace in that job? No, you're not. Uh, Erica, don't raise your hand. I know you work for, with, with, with your husband. But we do. We've had jobs. We've had situations of training where every time we go, we're like, I get no favor. I get no respect. I get no. Well, there's a way that you, you, you're organizing your mind to walk in expecting I'm not going to like this. This won't be good. But what we do is we begin to organize our mind on who God says I am and my identity. And I don't let the room or my job or my or my <clears throat> or my culture identify who I am. I organize my mind. Regardless of what the world is telling me, I organize my mind. I begin to walk in that way. Begin to walk in who I am, who I truly am, was created to be. So like this organizing of the mind, I want to create it to the, the summer. I want to connect to the summer series of the rhythm of heaven. The strong, regular, repeated pattern of sound that comes from God's heart. That comes from the throne room. We're so busy connecting on, well, I'm not sinning, so God, why aren't you blessing me? Well, my morals are good, so God, why aren't you blessing me? Well, I voted the right way, God, why aren't you blessing me? Well, I tithe, God, why aren't you blessing me? And what, he's, what he says that he rewards, he, what he says he rewards is a passionate pursuit of him seeking first the kingdom, seeking that rhythm of heaven. Not, I mean, all of those other things are an outflow of I'm, I'm tapping in. I'm grafted into the vine. I've, I've got my big Holy Spirit straw on the big slurpee of heaven. You like that one? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like totally like full of him and I'm overflowing. And it's showing in the peace that I bring in a bad situation. It's showing when something starts super awkward and could go really bad. But I'm not afraid of it going bad because I'm his. It's already good before it's done. It's already good if it starts really bad, if it gets really bad in the middle. It's already good, Becky. It's already good. And, and so if we take what it feels like now, when it's bad, and we say, this is it, this is it, this is always my life, this happens to me all the time, this right here, then we're not organizing our minds according to heaven, according to the rhythm of heaven. So I think I said this, but we organize our minds. God does not organize our minds. And by the way, your mind is not only organized through Scripture, okay? Because if you take Scripture, if you take scriptural teaching and you hear it and it goes through your ear, you translate that, right? You interpret what that Scripture means. So we take in God's a good God. We take it in, but we have this rut in our prefrontal cortex, in this part of the brain, it slides into there and it says, yeah, God's good to everybody but you. 
then you know you have a stronghold. The rut that we talked about a few weeks ago is, is the same as a stronghold. But it's, a, it's, an, it's an intellectual, actual place in your brain, not called a rut. It's called a neural pathway. And you can create new neural pathways and you can deepen old neural pathways. And the more you, th- the more you think um, unforgiving thoughts, the deeper that rut becomes. That's how you can have somebody that, uh, that's how you can have a guy dating and then he dates and he dates and he dates and he dates. Or a girl that dates and dates and dates and dates and says, I just, I just love men or I just love women. I just want to be married. I just want this. But every time any guy says something or any girl says something uh, um, about intimacy or about closeness, it falls into a rut. Women hurt me. Men hurt me. And it falls into that rut. That's why I know you guys have friends. It's easier to see it in our friends. That's why over like a five or 10 or 20 year period, you can hear your friends say the exact same thing every time. They, lose, they leave their job, and it's whose fault? It's the boss's fault. They leave the church, whose fault it is? It's the pastor's fault. And, and what it is, it's falling into a rut. They love the new pastor, they love the new boss, and a year and a half, two years down the road, boom, they're out because it hit a spot in the rut. What do we call a rut? It's just a grave with both sides kicked out. You can organize your mind. Now, you can say, well... Our thoughts are just our thoughts. They just come through. There's nothing to do about them. That's true-ish, but not true. So you can't help think, but thinking, you know, man, Les's hair looks great. I wonder who his barber is. That comes into your mind, right? Yeah, thank you. But, you know, that, but that would be Stevie, just so you know, you know, you can go down to the boardroom. If you ever want to meet with Stevie, you have to pay for a haircut because he won't meet with you otherwise. It's really, he's a tough, he's a tough, he's a, he's got his calendar so organized. It's like, it'll cost you to come sit in my chair and talk with me. I need some prayer in that area. So, but you can't, you can't help that. But what you can help, you can say, oh, that's not a thought I want to choose. I don't want that thought. We do that when we say, oh, I hate so-and-so. We think, oh, I hate so-and-so. That, I can't help but hate them. That's just a thought that I have. That's just a feeling. It's not true. You can take that. I, or if you, I can never forgive them. Of course you can. Scripture says you can. Scripture doesn't say forgive. Scripture never tells us to do something that we cannot, that we don't have the power to do. That actually, Scripture never tells us to do something that he hasn't already given us the power to do. So when he says forgive, it means forgive. It doesn't mean go back and marry them or go back and do business with them. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means taking your mind and organizing it according to the heart of God towards people because of how much you've been forgiven. All right, so... I'm going to go to uh, Philippians. It's Philippians. I thought it was Ephesians. I got that right. It's Philippians 4.8. And I'm going to take, a, take a, about three or four minutes just to prove to you that you can choose your thoughts. Philippians 4.8. And, and we've missed this scripture because we've, we've kind of made it just like we make everything so absolute in scripture, don't we? It's the rule. You have to follow this. You have to do this. But we often miss the heart of it. The heart of what's going on is for us to, to grow into who we already are. I'm not trying to be a good... I want, I want you to hear this. To organize... Like, if I, if I believe that I'm trying to be a good Christian, then I'm working hard to get somewhere. But if being a good Christian is just salvation, is just be, me being God's kid, then I organize my... I organize my mind according to scripture and I start with 
I am an amazing son, fully blessed, fully favored with everything I've ever needed. And there's nothing I can do to fall out of the graces of my heavenly father. I start there. I'm not trying to get there. And if I organize my mind on that way, sin becomes a lot less attractive. Bitterness, hatefulness, racism, sexism, unforgiveness becomes a lot more, less attractive because I realize that's not who I am. I'm not a person who's afraid. Even if I'm feeling afraid, I'm not a person who is actually afraid. So I start taking those thoughts and organizing them according to heaven that I can be strong and courageous because that's who he made me to be. But over here, in, in a mind organized towards my emotions and my experience, I might be afraid of groups of people. I might be afraid of, of, of different, um, different circumstances that come into my life, always afraid. And then I'm trying to not be afraid. Instead of just going from here, I'm built not to be afraid. Because my dad takes care of everything. Everything that comes before me can't prosper against me. Over here, it's like, oh, God, I hope this doesn't prosper against me. Oh, my God, I hope it. And it's an unorganized mind that leads us to all of those things. And then we're afraid and we were and we pick up all of this anxiety on our way into that. So organizing our mind is really important. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about what the writer's doing. He's saying, he's saying, you choose to think of these things. There were, there were very rich people in the church. There were very poor people in the church. There were slaves and slave owners. Do you think... Do you think going to church and, and, and somebody owns you is sitting right there and you've had an experience where you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, something's happened to you. Do you think all of a sudden all your thoughts are good towards your slave owner? No way. So it's saying choose what is right. Do you think, and we, and we just had communion in the Corinthian church, the Corinthians would come and all the poor people would huddle over in a corner, barely have a scrap just to do communion, and the wealthy would bring in their wine and their bread and their cheese and I think salami trays probably. I mean, they're like, they're feasting. They're, they have so much abundance, they're getting drunk. So they're, 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 there's, a, there's a sense of like the churches back then were just like our churches were now, maybe even worse but they, there's a sense that you can choose your thoughts towards things. The poor can choose not to be bitter towards the rich. The rich can choose not to be judgmental of the poor and, all vi- and, and the whole thing. We get to choose our thoughts. Look at your neighbor and say, you get to choose your thoughts. Now, and I don't want you to think that when it says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things like it's a super spiritual think about such things. Think about such things is actually just a technical function of you telling your mind what to do. So this is what this word think means. It's, it's the word that comes from law. It's a logical word. It's the word for logic. I mean, reckon, consider, count on, charge with, reason, decide, conclude, think, suppose. Sit down and think about what am I thinking about? What am I thinking about? I'm going to my job. It makes me tired just driving there. It's so hard. It's so bad. I wish I didn't have this job. Think about what you're thinking about and say, is this a mind organized according to the rhythm of heaven? That strong, consistent drumbeat coming out of heaven. Decide that. When you're in pain, when you're in worry, when you're in relational turmoil, when, you're, when your past begins to haunt you. I mean, 
start thinking, is my mind, are these thoughts producing godly things? And then I want to tackle this, who built the stronghold? We build the stronghold. We build the stronghold in our minds. The stronghold, the, 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 the manifestation of the stronghold is drugs, okay? That's just the manifestation. The actual stronghold is producing a desire or a need for drugs because the stronghold is polluting the air with lies straight from the devil. So I want you to see this. We build the construct. You just do a circular construct. We build the construct. Because back then, a lot of it would be circular. It would rise up. You'd overlook the city, stuff like that. We build the construct. This is what happens, though. The devils come and play in that construct. They begin to bed down and house in there. They begin to, they begin to do things in there. And then they're on your property. Where's the stronghold built? Not on the enemy's property. The stronghold that we're talking about in the mind is built on your property. Nobody has a right to your brain. That's why you forgive people. That's why you don't judge people. Because nobody has a right to your brain. Nobody has a right to real estate in your brain or in your heart. It's already his. You don't have a right to give it away. Every time we're unforgiving, every time we're hateful and we hold on to that hate, we're saying, I'm going to lease out your space. I'm going to get rewarded for it in a wicked way, in a bad way, a way that's actually damaging, but it's going to feel good. And we make a mistake as Christians of thinking, well, unforgiveness doesn't feel good. It feels amazing. Unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred. It gets you charged up and passionate, and you get to blame somebody. It's awesome. I mean, I'm really, I mean, I want you to hear that. We go, well, it's so bad. No, it's good. Well, there would, there, why would there be racism and sexism and all of these things if it didn't feel good to hate an entire people group? It, feel, it feels like self-righteous. It feels like now I don't, now I'm not at fault. It's a shame thing. I, and my, that's an unorganized mind all the time. All the time, all the time. There's no group of people ever anywhere that's always what you might think or feel that they are. So how is this stronghold built? It is built simply brick upon brick, line upon line of you taking your history and building a stronghold, taking your abuse taking your personality, taking your experiences, taking your family culture, taking your ethnic culture, taking your social status. And over the years, you just brick upon brick upon brick upon brick. You start bricking it up. And then you have a stronghold in your mind that's etched in your mind. And that stronghold's job is to keep you from moving forward into the abundant life. And if we think strongholds are built on the promised land. We see, we, see, we see Egypt coming in and going in to take somebody else's land, but that's not true. That was their land. It was promised to them. You guys have a promised life. It's your life. It's your life. And in order to live that life and to, to have the manifestation of the grapes and the beauty and the wonder and that life and the joy and the peace, you've got to not just defeat giants, which most of us have. I mean... I mean, you know, I'm no longer doing cocaine. That's a joke. I've never done cocaine. The only reason I know how to do it is because the movies in the 80s, they always had it. I mean, you know, I don't know if I would. Yeah, anyways, I've been using cocaine and heroin a lot, and this is why. Because we think that cocaine and heroin is actually a worse thing than having strongholds in our mind. 
We do. And the thing is, if you're doing heroin and cocaine, I don't know if you do them together or what you do with them, but if you're doing that, then people go, wow, you actually have a really high chance of somebody calling you out and getting saved and getting redeemed and then having a wonderful story. But if you're over here and you're hating and unforgiving and you're super, you're super um, uh, 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 afraid of everything and you're super selfish, you just have a stronghold that's manifesting itself in these ways that are guarding you and keeping you from ever growing up and maturing and being who you're created to be. And nobody, nobody can notice it because you're so well hidden. The strongholds in our heads manifest in our life all the time. So these ruts produce strongholds. I want you to think of that. So when you think about it, so you think about the trauma. Anybody have any trauma when they were a kid? I mean, trauma like you were treated really poorly, trauma that something happened to you, all the way up to, you know, your 20s before you can make a decision to, like, I'm not going to let that happen to me. It it could be something as uh, insidious or as regular as just neglect or regular abandonment. You never got looked at. Your parents never valued you. Just those things are forms of trauma. Or you got married and it lasted really was short and it ended really bad or a child got taken out. All of those things are traumas. And what happens is, is we begin to tell ourselves what that trauma meant. The reason, the reason God did that to me, which is a lie. The reason he did that to me is another brick. And we start bricking those things up. And then we start looking for those experiences to happen again. That's why somebody in abuse can keep dating somebody who abuses them because they're actually looking for that rut feeling that's the only one that they actually know well, okay? So, now when demolishing a stronghold, how do you take down, how do you demolish a stronghold? Well, first, you got to recognize it. You don't need to recognize it in somebody else, which is helpful if you do when you're dealing with somebody like, oh, this is a stronghold. And that's where, that's where some of the inner healing and some of the, some of the more technical things of like, this is what they're dealing with comes in because then you have like a, like a description or like, okay, I got a grip on this, what, what the stronghold is feeding out into the atmosphere. Okay, so identifying that you have one, and I'll just guarantee you everybody here has strongholds. I mean, every one of us in here. And the thing is, when our life starts looking settled and okay, we don't believe that we do because we stopped wanting more. But as Christians, we never should stop wanting more. I want to. I I, I, I have two kids, and now I have a daughter-in-law, and I love her, and I love that she always corrects me when I say I have two kids. She's like, "You have three kids." I love that about her. But still, I'm still meant to be a dad over and over and over again to the thirty to the thirty-year-old guy I'm around. I'm still meant to be that. It's not like it's not like I stop. I'm done. I've got I've got my house and my money. That's it. I'm done. No, it's like I, I want more and more and more. I want more. I want more character. I want more courage. I want more provision. I want more wisdom. I want more freedom from the stupid things I did in my past so I can share those openly and quickly and help young men in their 20s and 30s not make the same mistakes I did. And that comes from knocking down these strongholds, but being aware this is a stronghold and to not be ashamed of a stronghold. So this is what happens. Somebody with the spirit of discernment comes in and prophetically identifies a stronghold. And you're like, whoa, and you know it's true. You're just like, and you're crushed. But you know what? The enemy then jumps right in and brings shame. Says, here's some shame. You should be ashamed. And we're like, I am ashamed. So then we never get help with it. We never go on. Or 
we have an experience where the stronghold is revealed and the demons are cast out of it. But guess what happens when somebody's occupying a house, an apartment complex? Some of us have strong strongholds that are as big as giant apartment complexes. I mean, demons have rooms like one through a thousand. That's how big, I mean, that's how full of strong, I mean, really, because they're so deep. They're like sunk into the ground, like in New York, they're building from the ground up. But you say, you say somebody comes in and there's a deliverance and boom, all the demons flee out of that stronghold. The stronghold still exists. The stronghold is still there. And scripture is called the house is still there. The demons are gone, but we don't do anything with the stronghold. We leave it there. And what happens if we don't do anything with it and we ignore it because we're ashamed and we start working hard to try to be good? The demons start going, it's empty. Our old place is empty. It's moved back in. And he invites seven times more friends. And then you're struggling seven times harder. And the thing is, is I'm not sure. So, you know, there's an idea of like filling it up with something else. I think that every stronghold the enemy's built or every stronghold that we've built that the enemy manifests and lives in is a stronghold that's supposed to be filled so that we can you can use that stronghold. Because we think a stronghold is always on negative, but they built strongholds to, as watchtowers. A stronghold is just a watchtower for the different use. Every stronghold the enemy has, uh, when, when you're delivered, is supposed, to be, is supposed to actually be filled up with insight from what you got when the demons were tormenting you and when you were worshiping at your own mind, in your, in your, own, um, in your own intellect, in your own rut. And then you begin to describe it, and then it's like... People, people begin to see their strongholds. They begin to see where they're believing lies because you're so clear of how redeemed you've been. And you fill that house up with beautiful furniture, beautiful things, and with the Holy Spirit. And also, they're, they're, that, that's one imagery. The other imagery is you actually demolish it. So, have you ever seen like one of those, like, uh, you know, the house is demolished, right? Now, house demolish is easy. You just take a, just take a skip loader, big front end, and you just, you just start tearing it down. You can do it. I could do it if I had, if I had a, a big front-end loader. But when they're the big, tall buildings, what they do, they, they do an actual a controlled um, blowing up, and it blows up down. But then what happens when it's demolished? You still have to go back and take carry everything away. So part of our job with religious uh, things like don't forsake the, the gathering of the believers— Bible study, meditation, listening to Christian music, listening to Christian podcasts, getting taught, having spiritual conversations around a coffee, doing all of those things. Those are all things that begin to take those bricks and move them away from the demolition site where the stronghold was built. And it becomes totally unrecognizable. So that's why you can see somebody who's been on drugs and been a horrible person. And then you learn, you hear, and you love them, and they're wonderful, they're being successful, they could be a successful minister, they're successful married and business, and you're like shocked that they were a drug user all the way from 20 to 30. Why are you shocked? Because the stronghold was demolished and carried away, the foundation taken away, and they built something else in the place of that on their promised land, and they're living that out. And we are called to live these things out. What happens, though, is when, 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 when something starts shaking, I went to my son's house Friday morning to do some weed eating for him on one of his properties. And he's like, I killed a bunch of wasps. It's got like maybe four acres out there. There's a little building, blah, blah, blah. So, and, but I backed my truck in, I mean my car in, a little bit to this, his porch area. And I just slammed the door. 
And out of this thing on this table comes like a wasp. I mean, like a big wasp, a red one. I'm like, oh. And then like six more come crawling out because they've been disturbed. That's the exact same thing. When Jesus begins to get close to that stronghold, the demons start screaming. They start getting mad. The rats start running out. You start feeling ashamed. You start feeling scared. You don't want anybody to see how bad that room is. And, so, and we can think of it as a room. We don't want anybody to go in that door. And as soon as somebody gets close, like this, like, hey, what's in that door? We're like, whoa, don't get close to that door. But we say spiritual things. We do spiritual things. We have all this covering to don't get close to that door. That's how you know you have a stronghold. And it is holding you back all the time. These strongholds are really tough to recognize. We're going to go through some of that. But I want to, that's where I want to conclude The spirit of discernment helps recognize and call out those strongholds. So if you're around people that are strongly discerning, you will get some noise coming from your stronghold. Even if they don't say anything, you'll get some noise coming from their stronghold. If you're around people that are super healthy in the area of your stronghold... I'll wait till that goes by. That was fast. If you're around people who are super healthy in their stronghold, you will be uncom- uncomfortable. Your stronghold will start, will start trembling. The wasp will come out. The ra- You'll start feeling something bad because it's something that you think that you're supposed to have in your life. But you don't recognize the reason you're not there. It's because of a stronghold. And any time you blame somebody, a group of people, a past experience for who you are today, that's a stronghold. Because it's not true. We say no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Nobody can keep me out of the promises of God. Yet then we spend all of our time saying, these three pastors hurt me. That's why I don't go into ministry You know, the reason I don't give financially is blank, blank, blank. The reason I don't go to church is this. The reason I, and they're saying, I'm not, I'm not obeying God's call on my life because of this in the past. But they're really, they're looking in the past instead of addressing the stronghold that is right in their path of where they want to go. So, so the spirit of discernment can unlock those. Now, what, what a word of knowledge does can say exactly what went on in your past because it's a word, it's informational in the past that helps you go. Whoa! They know what they're they they know me. They see something, and then it helps to propel you into your future with a prophetic, longer, open word. And then what happens is a lot of us get some freedom, but then we don't get any wisdom. We don't partner breakthrough, strong, evident gifting with scriptures, like getting healed of, 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 uh, of something and then, uh, uh, then going right back to that same diet. It's like saying, Hey, don't, you know, don't run with knives. You get stabbed and you get healed and you go start running with knives again, you know? And so it's, it's, it's that, that, that right, that thing right there is so that we know. And so there's the, the gifts of the spirit we talked about tongues, but prophetic words of wisdom, words of knowledge. We'll cover that a little bit more, but I, I'm, I'm ending there, and we'll begin there next week, I believe. Those are the things that help us become aware. That is why so few people like, uh, I don't know how to say this right, like, uh, like Holy Spirit type things because they feel weird. What they're saying is, I discern this is weird. 
But they're really saying, hey, they're getting close to my stronghold, so that can't be good because I never should feel uncomfortable when you should never really feel that comfortable in church if you come in and you're walking in with a stronghold full of demons. And so the Lord wants to expose those things in us. Where are you in your thinking harboring or, or, or creating strongholds? Some of them have been passed down from generation to generation. It's just the way we think and we look at things. We posture ourselves according to our strongholds a lot of time. Our language reflects our stronghold. And we can become aware of how we think. All right? Let's go ahead and stand up. I'm going to close a prayer of blessing right there. And I know that was a lot. All right? But I want I want you to... I want you to look at every area of your life this week and just say, God, is this, I want more here and I've wanted this for years. But what, we ha- what happens, we often say, you know what, I don't want that anymore. No, nope, no, thank you. I, w- I want a better job. I want a better relationship. I want a better friendship. I want to be healthier. I want to lose weight. Those are all things. God wants you to have better relationships. God wants you to have less fear. God wants you to have more provision. Those are all things. But when we say, well... You know what? God doesn't want me to have them. We're blaming him for our, our fruit right now, and it, it's really us. So, Father God, we just thank you. Just by the power of the Holy Spirit, just show us. God, we love, we love to be shown. We love to be shown here at the journey where, where you want to work in us. And sometimes it is super painful. You want to strategically identify and convict us that right there, is stopping you. So right now, Holy Spirit, for every heart that's open and willing to receive, speak to them right now and say, that is the spot right there. That is the spot keeping you from where you say you want to go, from where you've dreamed of going, right there. This is, this is why you're in such worry. This is why you're in such turmoil. This is why your relationships don't work. This is why you're not starting in ministry like you want to. Right here, this, this stronghold of thought, So, Father, help us to honor the insight that you give us through people, through the Holy Spirit, and through Scripture. And help us to be unafraid, unafraid of you exposing things in us. We celebrate when our sin is exposed by you. We celebrate when our wrong thinking, our strongholds are exposed by you. Because we know then we can walk in with the might of God and we can tear those things down and take every thought captive. We thank you for that. I just speak a, uh, a I just speak a, a, a blessing over every person in here for more, more, more of what would make their heart sing, Father God, so much more than they can imagine. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you.